And it's always a weekend that uh, is very special, very special to me. Um, in serving my country, I know that there are those that have gone and paid the ultimate sacrifice. And uh, as such, you know, here it is Memorial Day. A lot of people don't realize it used to be called Decoration Day. And it started uh, back in the 1800s after the Civil War. Um, there was actually the Grand Army of the Republic, an organization of the Union, uh, that would go out to the grave sites and they would decorate the graves with flowers and with flags. Um, there was also uh, a Confederate side that would do the same thing. And then it was a, as the 20th century approached that they kind of merged it together and said, no, we need a little bit of healing here. And it's for every, every soldier, every person that has served our military and laid down their life for them. So as Memorial Day kind of marks the beginning and Labor Day kind of the end, um, I would encourage you to keep this day sacred. Uh, keep this weekend sacred. Uh, visit cemeteries. Uh, Riverside National Cemetery, they have an amazing ceremony that goes on. Um, there's a bunch of different memorials. Uh, everything from those that have received the Medal of Honor uh, to the Korean War, Vietnam War, um, all of those. And uh, as a matter of fact, 11 o'clock uh, tomorrow, uh, they'll be doing a, uh, a ceremony. And like I said, take time. Take time out of your day. Um, yes, go out. Enjoy the barbecues. Enjoy the fellowship. But also take a minute just to reflect. Number one, on how much God has truly blessed this nation. And the second, the true cost it is that we get to enjoy the freedoms. Uh, John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than this, than to lay down his life for that of his friends. Um, I have set up in front of the pulpit, it's known as the battlefield cross. And in essence, it's there because there's not the time uh, in order to have a full-blown memorial service. Um, so it's something that's set up on the, on the battlefield, um, and it's just a quick ceremony uh, that soldiers and uh, uh, airmen, all of those that, that they do. So right now, you know what? I, I, anybody who served, if I could have you please stand. Yes, big round of applause. Thank you. Thank you all. Uh, just know that uh, with this church and as long as I'm here, we will always honor those who have served and those victorious dead. If you would open up in your Bibles. Last we left off, we went through Matthew 7 and we got up to, uh, we actually made it up to uh, verse 12. I think I shared with you, I had close to 19 pages of notes and trying to condense it down to that was a true, true challenge. But we're going to go ahead and finish up chapter 7 today, God willing. Um, just as Jesus finished up on this, his Sermon on the Mount, um, and we'll finish it up with these last few thoughts. Uh, first, we're going to go ahead and we're going to take a look at the narrow gate. You see, wide is the path of destruction. And quite honestly, it's the easy way. You align yourself with the world, and everybody loves you. But you simply say the name Jesus, and oh, the daggers come out, don't they? Right? And it's a whole different story. And it's a path that eternally has so many great and amazing rewards. We can't even begin to fathom some of them. But here on earth, trials and tribulation. Second, Jesus brings warnings. Now, he brings warnings of the false prophet. He brings warnings of 
fruit inspections. How is your fruit looking? Is it ripe and ready to be harvested? Or is it rotten and need to be cast out? Third, we're going to go ahead. And Jesus says what I believe are some of the scariest words in the Bible for a believer to hear. In verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he, or only he, who does the will of my Father in heaven. You see, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Ouch. You see, for me, I believe that's truly what is called a gut check. And a gut check is an evaluation or a test of a person's resolve, their commitment, their priorities, uh, typically with respect to a particular course, course of action. Am I committed to God? Am I doing all that you commanded me to do, God? Are you a priority in my life? Or do I treat you, God, just like some kind of fire insurance? See, lastly, we're going to go ahead and we're going to take a look because Jesus gives us the answer. He gives us the answer. Um, did you hear what I said? Did you hear the warnings? Good. Then if you know I'm telling you these things, Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you hanging. You see, Jesus always gives us the answer. Without being too much of a spoiler alert, it is the truth, the life, and the way. So today's message is simply titled, with the question, how do we get to heaven? Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for the fact that we get to celebrate those victorious dead. Lord, those that went before us. Lord, that sacrificed and gave their all. Lord, you showed us this as an example with your very own son. For truly, he sacrificed it all. For us, we didn't deserve it. And Lord, I know there are many in this country that don't deserve the freedoms that they um, sleep under, the very blanket of protection. But yet, God, you sent them. And because of them, we have the opportunity to stand before you, Lord, to pray, to be in houses of worship, and Lord, to be able to profess your name. So God, today, as we sit here and we look at your scriptures, at your word, Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts and minds. Lord, that this would be truly something that you would etch upon our hearts. And God, once again, I pray that you would empty me. Lord, that if it is something of man, remove it. Take it away. But God, if it is of you, Lord, let us walk out of this place a different, a different person. God, know how much we love you. We thank you for this time. And it is in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and start off in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gates, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. 
Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and the great was its fall. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these things, that the people were astonished at his teachings, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. So we start off here in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. You know, when I was stationed in Korea, uh, during one of our field operations, uh, we were leaving for some ammo, some food, and a shower run. Beans and bullets, we call it. Now, we have a saying, if it ain't raining... We ain't training. So, of course, to make sure everything was truly miserable, um, it had been raining and the ground was completely muddy. Now, <laughs> we took off and Specialist Abeda was the one who was driving. Um, with this, we hit a pretty good patch of mud as we were heading out for the gate where we were located. Now, for those of you that don't go forebuying on a regular basis, um, you never want to stop your forward momentum or else you'll be calling a wrecker or a tow truck and using a wench in order to get unstuck from that mud. So Specialist Abeda, he punched it. And as we were heading for the gate, the gate was only wide enough, just wide enough in order to fit our vehicles through. Amazingly, we went ahead and almost sideways, straightened it out at the last moment, and we made it through without hitting a single post. And of course, we were able to come back better equipped, better fed, better, more clean, as soldiers at the end of our run. Now, I tell you this story because we can learn a lot from Special Sabeda. First, he was committed to the mission. We need to be committed to our mission. The mission that leads to life, eternal life in heaven. Now, notice, it doesn't say narrow is the gateway right into heaven, does it? No. It says narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. So once we find the gate, hint, hint, Jesus, there is still a path that we need to travel. 
Even though it's difficult, where does that path lead? It leads to life. So Specialist Abeda, he was committed to the mission. Specialist Abeda was also not driving on a smooth or concrete or asphalted path. It was on a rutted, a muddy, and a dirty path. The path was difficult. And it always perplexes me. When Christians are saved, you see, they think that, oh, here it is, everything is going to be rosy. Well, it is. Because, you see, with Jesus as our Savior, it doesn't get much better than that, does it? But remember, with every rose, there's the thorns. You know, um, I also hear people, and they say, and they say, you know, well, I went through this tough time, or I went through that tough time, and God wasn't there for me. Hmm. Well, first of all, he was. And you know, in Isaiah 43, 13, it says, For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. Or in another translation, it says, Because I, your God, have a firm grip on you, I am not letting go. I'm telling you, don't panic. I'm right here to help you. And I love that. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Isn't that a wonderful thing to know that our Lord God is not going to let us go, even when we turn our backs on him. It's a beautiful thing. But yet one little bump in the road, and how many are so quick, so quick to give up and head for the wide path, the easy path. You know, criminals take it all the time. They choose that easy path. Now, let's say that here it is, I'm pursuing a thief. They've already taken that easy path, haven't they? They didn't work for something. They're not going out earning money in order to gain something. Instead, they're taking something that wasn't theirs. Now, when I get involved, time and time again, they don't run where there's gates. They don't run where there's fences. They don't take the obstacles. They take the path of least resistance. Although there was this one time, stolen car, car crashes, I go in foot pursuit. I go chasing after this guy. He jumps over a fence. I jumped over the fence. He jumps over a second fence. I start to pull myself up on the fence, and I hear this. It's okay, suspect. You go ahead. You go play with Rover. Uh, good little Rottweiler. <laughs> now, although he went ahead, and it seemed as though he got away, he chose the difficult path, didn't he? All right? You know where we picked him up? 7-Eleven, right down the road. He came strolling in like it was nothing. He's got dirt all over him. He's all sweaty and everything. <laughs> you see, he went ahead, he chose the easy path, and it ultimately led to his destruction as we picked him up. Now, coming back to our specialist, Specialist Abeda didn't stop either. He kept moving forward. He knew that we would get stuck. I believe that our walk with God can be the same exact way. We need to keep moving forward. When I used to work at Holiday Health Spa or Bally's Fitness, whatever it's called nowadays, um, they used to have a saying on the back of their shirts, and it said, there's no such thing as staying the same. You're either striving to make yourself better or allowing yourself to get worse. You know, in context of physical health, we need to take care of our bodies. It takes work. No two ways about it. Everyone in America is in great shape, right? <laughs> no, 
But those that are, they have to keep moving forward, don't they? We have to, or otherwise our health is going to decline. Our muscles atrophy, we get weaker. But the scripture says, difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. There are few who find it. Now, in context of our spiritual health, uh, we need to take care of that as well. Moving forward, okay? We need to go ahead. We need to be attending church. We need to be studying our Bibles, meditating on his word, fellowshipping with believers, praying, praying, and more praying. Enter by the narrow gate. Jesus didn't speak of this gate as our destiny, but as an entrance to a path. There is right and there is wrong. Jesus appealed to his listeners to decide to go the more difficult way. Why? Because it leads to life. He understood and taught that not all ways, not all destinations are equally good. One leads to destruction, the other to life. The straight or the narrow gate uh, signifies uh, literally what we call a wicket. Or a little door in a larger gate. Does anybody remember the game crochet? Uh, croquet? Crochet. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a little gate too. <laughs> but I used to love this game as a kid. I mean, here it was. You set up these wickets, right? These little pieces of wire all along your, your backyard and everything. And, and we used to have these killer games. We'd set it up over three you know, three, three properties, uh, three properties deep. And I mean, if, if, if I could have used a, a wood, you know, <laughs> I would have, I would have. But I mean, it was, it was these amazing games. And basically, you have to try to get this wooden ball through one of the wickets in order to, a series of them, and all the way back in order to ultimately win the game. Now, if you, were, if you hit another ball, then you got another shot. And then, if you were really good, you could rest that ball right up against the other one. You'd take your foot on top of it, and you'd send your partner, bam, <laughs> out into the back 40. Yeah, our games of crochet were croquet was a little bit. There we go again. <laughs> okay, you guys know the truth now. Okay, that was it. Growing up, I never really played croquet. It was more just knitting at home. It was definitely cutthroat, though. It was definitely cutthroat. But the reward at the end was victory. And you know, our reward is victory in Jesus, eternally in heaven with him. Now, Jesus is not encouraging committed disciples, Christians, to press along the narrow way and be rewarded in the end. Rather, commanding his disciples to travel by the marked, uh, uh, travel the way marked by persecution and reward it in the end. Narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. The true gate is both narrow and difficult. If your road has a gate that's easy and well-traveled, you would do well to watch out. Now, verses 15 through 20 deal with the dangers of false prophets and the decision between two trees and their fruit. Matthew 21, 18. Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, whoa, that's way ahead. We'll get there, though. We'll get there. 
Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Beware of false prophets. Jesus warned us of a path that leads to destruction. Now he reminds us that there are many who would go ahead and try to guide us along a broad path that leads to destruction. The first step to combating these false prophets is simply just to be aware of them. Who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. It is in the nature of these false prophets to deceive and deny their true character. Often they deceive even believing in themselves, believing them to be sheep when they are actually ravenous wolves. See, the basic fault of, of a false prophet is self-interest. It can be expressed by a desire for gain or an easy life, a desire for prestige or a desire to advance one's ideas or own, uh, but not God's. You know, in Acts 20, Paul said the same thing to the elders at Ephesus. When I leave, men will rise up and draw discipline, uh, disciples to themselves. He called such men ravenous wolves, even as Jesus did here. How will we know them? Well, in Acts 20, they said that they will draw men after themselves instead of pointing to Jesus. Secondly, in 2 Peter 2.3, they say these ravenous wolves will make merchandise of you. They'll go for your pocketbooks concerning not so much about the feeding of the sheep, but instead fleecing you. You know, one of Aesop's fables is about a hungry wolf who goes ahead and he puts on a sheepskin over him. And he goes out into the uh, flock in order to uh, start devouring a bunch of the sheep. And, you know, it just so happened that the same night, the shepherd had a strange craving for mutton. So he went out into the sheepfold, finding the biggest sheep, and plunged his knife right into his side. Well, that happened to be our wolf. You know, the wolf who is disguised, or a wolf that is disguised as a sheep, will eventually be dealt with by the shepherd. So too, our good shepherd watches over our flock. Amen? Amen. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Now, we're not to be judges, but we are to look for fruit. We are to be fruit inspectors. The fruit we are to look at is not flawless because we ourselves are not flawless. We have shortcomings, amen? Amen. No, the issue is not the flawlessness, but the fruitlessness. A tree that has a lot of leaves but no fruit is going to be dealt with and severely cast into the fire. Do you remember when Jesus cursed the fig leaf, the fig tree? Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 21, verse 18. So just ahead a few chapters. Matthew 21, 18. Now in the morning, 
as he returned to the city. He was hungry. And seeking a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately, the fig tree withered and died. Now, in this passage, the fruit tree represents Israel, but it was not producing fruit. It had a temple. It had Pharisees and Sadducees, but it was not producing fruit. You know, if we call ourselves Christians, we need to be producing fruit. Have you ever been called on the carpet at work? The boss says, come in my office. Shut the door. That's never a good sign. <laughs> now, what if he asked you, what have you been working on? And you simply told him, well, I showed up this morning. How do you think that would go? Probably not too good. There would at least be a reprimand or very possibly even be fired. You know, it's the same. It's going to be the same when we stand before our God. He's going to ask us what we have done for his kingdom. Do we really be, want to be the ones that just say, well, I showed up? Or instead, how incredible would it be if here it was, we could take all of our deeds, lay them out in front of him, and they were not burnt up like hay and stubble. But instead, here it was, there was those things that we did, the kingdom work. There was the children that we raised. There was the church that we took care of. There was the homeless that we fed. There was helping and loving of our neighbors. That's what was left. That's what I want to present to my God. Yes, we will be known by our fruit. You will know them by their fruit. This is, uh, this is also in very much special regard to your pastors. You see, you, the congregation, need to guard yourself against false prophets taking heed to their fruit. This means paying attention to, attention to several aspects of their life and their ministry. You should pay attention to the manner in which a teacher shows. Um, do they show righteousness, humility, faithfulness in the way that they live? You should pay attention to the content of their teaching. Is it true fruit from the word of God or is it man-centered, appealing to the ears that just want to be tickled? You should pay attention to the effect of the teaching. Are people growing in Jesus or are they just merely being entertained and eventually falling away? Even so, Every good tree that bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. The fruit is the inevitable result of who we are. Eventually, though it may take time for the harvest to come, good or bad fruit is evident, revealing what sort of tree we are. Now, I went to a men's conference some years ago, and this exact passage was what the, one of the speakers was talking about. And I had to admit, it really struck me deep because I knew that I was having a, a tough time with some of my kids in their teenage years but I also made a commitment there and then my children would be good fruit and I recently heard it said that you can tell the quality of a parent by their children I've been truly blessed in this area 
And, you know, Tom Brokaw, he recently, not long ago, uh, wrote a book called The Greatest Generation. And it was all about those in World War II. That World War II generation, the commitment, the sacrifice, the industry, their resolve. And knowing Michelle's grandparents, who were part of that greatest generation, I can only echo and sing the praises, truly, of who they were. And it was a great generation. But I'd like to throw something out there. What about the parents of this greatest generation? The ones that raised, the ones that passed on the morals, the ethics, the beliefs to this greatest generation. I believe those are the true heroes in this story. Now, that's not to say that here it is as we train up our children, as we, in the fear and admonition of our Lord, that when they get older, they will automatically be good fruit. Because God gives each of us free will, doesn't he? So if your children stray, don't beat yourself up too much. Their salvation is now their own. However, if you were like me, and you felt the fear of the Lord in my heart, and didn't do anything about it, well, that's something that you need to take up with the Lord, for only he can offer you forgiveness. At the beginning of this chapter, Jesus warned us not to judge, right? We went over that a few weeks ago. And to be looking for that speck in somebody else's eye when we had a plank in our own eye. Therefore, before asking of anyone else, we should first ask, do I bear fruit unto God's glory? Verses 21 through 23, um, it basically speaks of a decision. Two claims of Jesus' lordship, one false, one true. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I remember the first time I read this passage. I was deathly afraid. I had to look deep in my heart and ask, am I doing the will of my Father in heaven? You know, hearts can be deceitful and wicked. And I wish that I could tell you that I immediately went ahead and I changed all my ways. But that wasn't it. No, instead God said, Adam, you've got a lot of rough edges. And you need some sanding. I wasn't immediately a finished work, but a work in progress. One that continues even to this day. He continues to refine. And it's not always a fun process. Remember, narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. Remember our wolves and sheep's clothing and our trees? Now, many of these wolves, these false trees, will come to Jesus and say, but Lord, didn't we prophesize? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do miracles? And the question would arise, how could these wolves, these false leaders, um, these bogus trees do these things. How could they prophesy? How could they cast out demons and do miracles if they were fakes? I believe 
there was three possible answers. One, they were just flat out lying. They never did them. Maybe they just thought about doing them or thought that they were doing them. Second, it is possible that they were doing these things in the power of Satan. The book of Acts talks about Simon the sorcerer who did miracles but not in the power of the spirit. In Moses' day, Pharaoh's magicians copied to a certain extent the miracles of God, but it was by the power of Satan. Third, the Lord could have been simply using them in spite of themselves. The Lord used, used uh, Balaam, even though Balaam was not right with him. He prophesied through th King Saul, even though Saul's heart was far from God. And he spoke prophetically through Caiaphas, the high priest, when he said, should not one man die for the nation? Although Caiaphas knew it not. Now, notice many will say, Did we, didn't we prophesize? Always beware of people who promote themselves in ministry. Whenever I hear a ministry say, look what we are doing. Not look what God has done. That rings bells to me. Red flags go up and in my mind because Jesus taught humility. Jesus taught secrecy. So that only you and your heavenly father would know. Amen? Amen. Verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, and the flood came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. I would liken these uh, liken him to a wise man who built it on the rock. In Jesus' illustration of the two builders, each house was the same from the outside. The real foundation of life is usually hidden, and it's only proven through a storm. You see, we could say that the storms came from both heaven, the rain, and from earth, the floods. And this is a familiar story of two men building a house. The men used the same material. Both men used the same geographical location. But one man's house stood while the other man's house collapsed. The difference was in the foundation. One built on the rock, the other built on the sand. You know, in Palestine, the uh, weather over there, the land becomes parched in the summer. And it causes even the sandy and unusable areas to appear rock solid. But the true test doesn't come until the rain falls. Jesus here is saying, be careful where you build your house. Build on something tried and true. Build upon the rock. Who's the rock? No, Dwayne Johnson, right? <laughs> That's the rock, right? <laughs> no, it's not Dwayne Johnson. It is Jesus, the Christ, the solid rock on which I stand. Now, wait a second. Wasn't Peter the rock? Oh. Petros 
Well, that's Greek for rock. And didn't Jesus say in Matthew 16, 15 through 18, he, Jesus, said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon, Bojo uh, Simon uh, Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. See, so many people get this wrong. It's not Peter that Jesus will build his church on. But Jesus, our rock. So who's the one that builds his house upon the rock? The one who hears the words of the Lord and does them. The one who built it on the sand is the one who hears the words of the Lord doesn't do them. One of the greatest danger for we who love scripture is to think that hearing is equivalent to doing. Now, you might say to yourself, yeah, I agree with the teachings of Jesus. Yeah, he gave us all that stuff on judgment, you know. Yeah, you shouldn't judge. I should show mercy. But if you leave the church and immediately turn to someone start gossiping or analyzing or judging or critiquing, you're foolish and your house will collapse. We need to hear the words of Jesus because my Bible students, my congregation, my flock, we are in great danger of being foolish men who erroneously conclude that because we are hearing the truth and agreeing with the truth that we're automatically practicing the truth. The wise man not only hears Jesus' words, but also puts them into practice. And when the storm comes, his house stands. Verse 28. And so it was, when Jesus has ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teachings. For he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Now, Let's say that one of you were to talk about a speeding ticket that you received from a cop. You could describe the experience, and you can relate it to your friends or family. But if I were to tell you that you were in violation of Vehicle Code Section 22350, which is the basic speed law, and that there needed to be a radar survey done, and on that radar survey, the speed needed to be substantiated by the median speed, from that survey, and that the citation that you re received was not an admission of guilt, but merely a promise to appear, and that the form that you signed was called a CHP 215. Would you say that I was one having authority in this? Yeah. This is the same with Jesus. You see, he wasn't telling us about the scriptures like the scribes, like the Pharisees. He was testifying to the truth the life, and the way. He was and is and will always be the authority. I'd like to close with a story about D.L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody was haunted all of his life by an occasion when he, got, when he felt he got too clever in presenting the gospel. Six years before he died, he recounted what had happened back in Chicago in the fall of 1871. I intended to devote it 
to devote six nights of Christ's life. I had spent four days and nights on the subject and had followed him from the manger along through his life to his arrest and trial. And on the fifth Sunday night, October 8th, I was preaching to the largest congregation I had ever seen. And I was quite elated with my success. My text was titled, What Shall I Do Then With Jesus? Which is called The Christ. That night, I made one of the biggest mistakes of my life. After preaching, with all the power that God had given me, urging Christ upon the people, I closed the sermon and said, I wish you to take this text home with you, to turn it over in your minds during the week, and next Sunday we will come to Calvary and the cross, and we will decide what we will do with Jesus of Nazareth. Just at that moment, a fire bell rang nearby, and Moody quickly dismissed the meeting and sent the people out of the building. It was the beginning of the great Chicago fire. Over the next 27 hours, there would be 300 dead, 90,000 homeless, and a great city in ashes. Quite obviously, Moody never got to finish his sermon series. But he went on and he continued. I have seen, I have never seen that congregation since. I've worked hard to keep back the tears today. 22 years have passed, and I will never meet those people again until I meet them in another world. But I want to tell you one lesson that I learned that night, which I have never forgotten, and that is when I preached to press Christ upon the people, then and there, I tried to bring them to a decision on the spot. I would rather have my right hand cut off than to give an audience a week to decide what to do with Jesus. John 14, 1 through 6 says, Let your heart not be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And where I go, you know the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how we can have, how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Today, I'm pressing Jesus upon you. And I will not give you a week to decide. Make the decision today. Make Jesus your rock. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Have you made him your Lord and Savior? The answer is no. Do not delay. Do not walk out of this building without knowing that he is your Lord and Savior. How do we get to heaven? Jesus. That's it. One word. He's the only way. He's the narrow gate. The way is going to be difficult. 
But the payoff? Priceless. Would you pray with me? Lord, throughout this entire passage, throughout the entire scripture, Lord, you told us it was going to be difficult, that there was going to be challenges, trials and tribulations that laid ahead. Lord, you warned us, deceivers, false prophets, trees, Lord, bogus trees, all of these things. But ultimately, it all circles around, and it points to you. You are rock. And Lord, I pray right here, right now, in the witness of everyone, Lord, that if there is somebody here that has come here today, and they do not know you, I pray that you were stirring their heart the entire time. You were stirring their heart in the worship. You were stirring their heart in the announcements. You were stirring their heart throughout the entire message. And that God, that you brought them to this point right here. For Lord, even they are in your grip. And your word says that you wish none should perish. So God, I pray right here, right now. Lord, if that person is out there, have them make the commitment today. Lord, I ask that they would just raise their heads, raise their eyes, bring them to me, bring them to my eyes. God bless you. God bless you. And close your eyes. And Lord, I know that we're not perfect either. I know that we fall short again and again. And your word says that we all fall short of your glory. So Lord, maybe there are those that are backslidden. Those that are not walking. Lord, maybe those that are even fruitless. And God, I pray that they would just pray this prayer with me right here, right now. Because there's only one place that we want to be. And that's by your side. Lord, looking, gazing upon your face. Lord, in heaven. So if you would just repeat this in your hearts. Jesus, I need you. I need you as my Lord, as my Savior. God, enter into my heart. Enter in now. Clean out all the filth, all the wickedness, Lord, all of my sin. For I can't do it myself. I need you. And Lord, I know that what you did, the ultimate sacrifice on the cross was for me. I couldn't do it myself. And I need you as my Savior in my life. God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me, Lord, for I am a wretched man. Forgive me of my sins. And Lord, I love the fact that you are not one, an empty God. Lord, one who makes promises and doesn't keep them. But instead, you're the same yesterday, today, as tomorrow. Timeless. And when your word says that we can trust in you, trust in eternity, in heaven, we know that promise is true. So thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be one of your children. 
to enter into your kingdom. Jesus, you are so good. Blessed be your name, holy God. And everybody said, amen. If you made that commitment today, share it with somebody. Share it with somebody here. After we finish with the last worship song, we're going to pray. And there'll be pastors down here in front. There'll be prayer warriors down here. Pray with them. Drive that spike in the ground today. You gave your life to him. It's a beautiful thing.